while the world is quick to tell you all that it's against. Uptown Church wants you to know we're for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Good morning. Um, it is so good to see you here this morning. If I have not gotten a chance to meet you, I am Joy Gonzalez, and I am the campus pastor here at Uptown Church. And it is so good to worship with you. And I'm so glad that you're here on this Sunday this summer because we are in week two of a new series called The Bible for Grownups. And I, like I said, I'm really excited you're here. I'm excited you're watching because I think this series is incredibly important for us. Now, many of us, whether you grew up in the church or not, you probably grew up hearing some parts of stories in the Bible. But many of us never actually heard the story of the Bible. So while we know some Bible stories or a few parts of a Bible story, none of us really were told the story of the Bible. And here's the deal with that. When we don't really know the story of the Bible, it's easy for many of us to discount the stories that are in the Bible. In fact, maybe you have walked away from Christianity for a season or time in your life because, because it was easy to discount those stories or because they didn't feel like they bore any relevance to your life. But it's incredibly, incredibly important to know the story of the Bible almost as important as what is in the Bible. Because the story of how the Bible came about sheds incredible light on the story the Bible is ultimately trying to tell us. Now, I don't know what your experience is with the Bible. Maybe you, like me, when you were a kid, received some beautiful, genuine, imitation, leather-bound copy of this book right here with your name printed on it. How many in gold leaf? Oh, yeah. You are not a real Christian unless your Bible had your name on it in gold leaf. Um, and, and maybe you grew up like loving reading the Bible and you read it with your parents and you took it to church with you and, and you loved it. Um, I, I loved the Bible. And, and maybe for you growing up with the Bible, you still believe today that if the Bible says it, that settles it and, it, and it's all good. But maybe, maybe you're a little bit more like me and, and you loved this Bible, but as you grew up, you began to wrestle with it a little bit more because as an adult, you went back and read some of the stories they taught you in Sunday school. And you're like, wait a minute, a fish swallowing a person, a flood, a floating zoo, a garden, fruit, like what? What was all of that about? And so as you're starting to wrestle a little bit with if, if it really means anything for your life today or if it was just some story someone told you a long time ago. Or maybe, and I find this often, that many people have just kind of given this up, done away with reading the Bible and maybe even completely dismissed Christianity because something it said. Or, like I said, most often what I hear is because of what somebody else told you it said or what it meant or maybe you never even grew up with the bible and so you're like i don't know why you would talk about the bible but hey great 
regardless of your experience with the Bible, regardless of what even you think about it today, this is so important. This means knowing the story of the Bible. Because knowing the story of how the Bible came together not only sheds light on the entire story the Bible is trying to tell us, but it gives us a way in which we can faithfully engage with it today. It kind of shows us what do we do with the Bible today. Now, um, the stories of the Bible, what we kind of know of first came to us, and we started talking about this last week. We got the story because of these four men here. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we, if you've grown up around the Bible, you know them as the Gospels. But back in the first century, these their writings were just documents documenting the life of Jesus. And here's the deal. They, and we talked about this last week, they wrote about the life of Jesus, not because of what he taught, not because of what he claimed about himself in his life, not because he was crucified, executed by the Roman Empire, but because after being placed in a tomb, they went to that same tomb a few days later, and he was alive. He had been resurrected. And they began to go and become witnesses and face down the very empire and the very people who had put Jesus on that cross and thus in that tomb. If Jesus had just been crucified, there would be no Bible. There would be no story to tell. But the Bible and the story of the Bible begins with their eyewitness accounts, other eyewitness accounts to Jesus being crucified, dead, and then resurrected. All of a sudden, everything that they had heard about Jesus, all of a sudden, everything Jesus had claimed about himself, they realized he is who he said he was. He is the son of God. And there is something beyond the deepest pain and darkness in our lives. So they began to to tell the story, to write about it. Many accounts, actually, which was rare for historical events at that time, for there to be many accounts to begin to surface. And from the very beginning, these accounts of Jesus' life were considered valuable, reliable, sacred, and inspired and very quickly considered scripture. But there's still no Bible, just these documents documenting the life of Jesus. And that's where our story picks up today, is that at this time, the apostles, these witnesses to the resurrection and story of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, they begin to leave Judea the Jewish hub of the Christian faith. And they begin to go out into all the world and to begin to tell anyone who will listen this incredible story of Jesus, the son of God, who was dead and now alive. And people begin to come into the faith who had never had any engagement with the Jewish world out of which Christianity was born. They became what we call Gentile believers. And and as these Gentile believers begin to accept and take a life in Jesus' name, one thing was kind of hard for them and and following Jesus and being a part of the early church. And that was 
that Jesus claimed that Jesus was the only God. And that these early Christian leaders were saying, to follow Jesus, you have to leave behind your other gods, your other religious practices, and follow God alone. It was the first time they had engaged with a monotheistic faith. See, in their culture, you could, you could believe that Jesus was God as, as long as you added Jesus to the mix of, you know, your household gods, the Roman pantheon of gods, and you still revered Caesar as God. But Christians came along and said, no, 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 there is no other God. And so that became kind of a sticking point for these early Gentiles. And, and we get a picture into why, how this was so hard and why this was so hard for them and as we see the Roman Empire's response to early Christianity. In fact, the early Roman Empire was very suspicious of Christians because of this claim of monotheism. They were okay with Jesus until there was just Jesus. They were okay if you believed in Jesus. You just also had to honor Caesar as God too and, and keep all of the Roman gods as well. But Christians said, no, 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 no. And so the Roman Empire began to persecute Christians to wipe them out, to wipe out what they considered atheistic uh, movement in the empire. And the worst example of this came under this man here. 20 points if you know who this is. No. <laughs> All my history buffs, this is Diocletian. And he was one of the emperors of the Roman Empire. And he enacted the greatest persecution against the Christian church that has ever been seen. And his job was he was not only going to quiet, but he was going to stamp out early Christians because of what they claimed about Jesus as the only God. And so he suppressed their gatherings. He would destroy and gather up those many accounts of Jesus' life that were being circulated and, and did a great job suppressing the spreading of these documents throughout the world. But the incredible thing is, the incredible thing is that even with unprecedented persecution against the early Christian church, it grew massively. The movement continued to expand and Gentile believers continue to put their faith in Jesus and the early church grow and grow and grow despite all efforts to stamp them out. And this is why this is so incredible. And I, and I want you to hear this. And if you hear nothing else today, hear this. At this time, the church is growing. And there is no this. This wouldn't come about for centuries and centuries later. Christianity wouldn't even become legalized in the Roman Empire until Constantine in the 4th century. But the church grew and people came to faith without this. Here's why this matters for you and I. Maybe you've walked away or someone you know has walked away because they have told you you have to believe all of this or put all of your faith in this or not struggle with this if you're going to follow Jesus. But the early Christian church that grew throughout the world didn't even have this. 
the church then and the church now is founded on the resurrected Jesus. So if you struggle with this, if you have a tension with this, don't give up. Don't stop. The tension, it's not a threat to following Jesus. The struggle is not your setback from faith. It might just, in fact, be the set up for you to follow Jesus and experience life in his name like never before because it was in the first century. And I think it still is today. Now, back to the first century. I'm getting off. I'm preaching. <laughs> Woo, amen. But back to those first century Jew- Gentiles. They, they, they're struggling because of this persecution and this idea of monotheism. But was it, what was incredible about their journey, and this is an incredible piece of the journey of the development of the Bible, is that as they began to become more and more enamored with the Jewish rabbi Jesus, they became more and more enamored with the Jewish, Jewish text, the ancient text of the Jewish people. Because what they found as they went back and looked at many of the ancient Jewish texts is that they found Jesus in them. These early Gentile believers who had never studied anything in Judaism, why would they? They, they find the story of Jesus from the beginning. And so they become enamored with these Jewish texts, and it rocks their, their world. In fact, they open up and unscroll, because they didn't have it bound, unscroll the very first book of the ancient Hebrew text, Genesis. And this is the first line they read, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now, for you and I, that's not, that's not mind-blowing. But for these early Gentiles, that would have been mind-blowing. We've heard that line, that sentence. We've disputed, debated that line and what comes after it so much that we lose the significance of what these early Gentile believers would have heard. See, in any other creation story, in any other religious text, it would have started in the beginning, the gods. But... The ancient Hebrew text says, in the beginning, God. And they say, oh, they had it right. They knew all along there was just one God. See, you and I, we can dismiss Genesis because we learned in school, many of us, or we heard from some friend or read on a blog that in the 19th and 20th centuries, archaeologists unearthed Egyptian, Sumerian, and Canaanite mythologies and creation stories that sounded really similar to Genesis. And so maybe you were told, like I was told, that the Christian or the Hebrew text that later became part of the Christian Bible was just copied from all those other myth stories, that there's nothing unique about it. But what I can tell you is that that viewpoint on Genesis has has been reversed. Actually, no one really in scholarship today actually believes that anymore, that Genesis stole from other creation stories because of, because of the radically different worldview that Genesis provided to the world that these Gentile believers began to unearth as they dug in, first being that in the beginning there was just God. 
No one had ever believed that until that time. There were always the gods, and then these believers say, no, there was just a God. And it gets, it gets even crazier than that. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And again, that seems normal to us, but that would have rocked their world because in the beginning, there even being a beginning, no one had ever thought there was a beginning to the universe. From the fourth century up until 1927, people thought the universe had always existed, that there was no start to it. It was just always there. And then the discovery of the Big Bang Theory changed all of that. And people realized, wait a minute, there was a start in a trillion trillionth of a second from literally nothing came everything we know today. Or as Genesis says it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This had a beginning. They were thinking that way before the century you and I live in. We didn't realize that until now. But these early ancient people give this worldview. That's what they believed. And the idea that God created the heavens and the earth was so profound as well because in all the other creation myths, the heavens, the earth, people were an afterthought, just some cosmic accident, not purposeful and intentional. Genesis is that Greek word for origin, and they found this origin story not only for their faith, but for all of life. Maybe you have heard of this Enuma Elish, which was the Babylonian creation story and cosmology story. It means wind on high. And it tells the story of the great god of all the gods, Marduk. And he also has a hand in creating the world. This is the one that gets most compared to our Genesis today. But when we read about Enuma Elish and how humanity was created, it was an afterthought. This is what it says. I will establish, and this is Marduk, the king of all the gods, saying this. I will establish a savage. Man shall be his name. Savage man I will create. He shall be charged with the service of the gods that they might be at ease. In these other stories, humanity was the afterthought. God creating something and making it purposely was nothing anyone had ever known, witnessed, or seen, or believed before. And so they're beginning to realize Genesis is so vastly different. It's what scholars today have realized. It's so vastly different. And the worldview it presents, you can't even compare the two. There was purpose and intent. And it goes on in Genesis, these believers would have read, then God said, let us make humanity and our image to resemble us so that they may take care of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all crawling things on earth. So God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created the male and female. God created them. The more they continued to read Genesis, the more they realized, oh my goodness, this this is in alignment with everything that Jesus taught and spoke. From the very beginning, the Hebrew people believed that humanity wasn't an afterthought, like was apparent in the Enuma Elish. 
wasn't some just consequence of a cosmic battle or accident in the universe, but that God created them. And not only did God create them intentionally, but with dignity, with human dignity from the very beginning. That had never, never in the ancient, ancient world when Genesis was being put together, no one had thought that before. People were just that afterthought. They didn't have dignity. They were just there to serve the gods. And yet Genesis proposes, no, no, no. We think God created with intention people on purpose for a purpose. And every man, woman, child, every person has innate value and dignity. They had never, ever, ever heard that. And so early Christians begin to see in Genesis this radically different and unparalleled worldview that matched and mirrored the, the dignity that Jesus had given all people, the dignity that Jesus showed every person he engaged with, that lifted up the message Jesus had said that, no, there is a God who loves you. There is a God who knows you. There is a God who sees you. There, that same God is the one who created you and made you and never, ever, ever, ever gives up on you. And it changed their world. It changed everybody's world. See, you and I, we, the problem for us is we get so caught up when we come to Genesis and some of these ancient texts, the Hebrew texts that have been brought into our Christian canon. And, and, and we look at them as if they're supposed to be telling us how God created the heavens and the earth, how everything came about. And, and that's our problem. We get distracted with days and order of events and that was not the purpose of those documents ever. See, when early Christians read them, they realized that the purpose of Genesis, why it mattered in putting it with the story of Jesus is because it told the story of a God who not only creates, but redeems, saves, a God who gives us purpose and meaning, but does the most ungodly thing possible is that when we have free will and we choose against him, he gets to work right away, reversing the consequences of our own choices against him because we matter that much. These early Christians began to put together what we and what I hope we still put together when we approach Genesis and these ancient texts today. They don't tell us how, but they give us the meta narrative for our life. They answer the why questions. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why are you here? More personally, why are you here and why does it matter? Well, because we believe in a God and they found in Jesus and saw the God who wanted image bearers, who wanted partners in this world to continue making this world more like God had initially and originally created it to be. In fact, if you read 
in the book of John, one of the documents, early documents, documenting the life of Jesus, which is so incredible, and what these early Gentile believers would have heard in these Hebrew documents. John says this at the beginning of his text. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word being Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And the word, Jesus was with God, and the word was God. And in the beginning, through the word, all things that were made were made through him, by him. And he is the light of humanity. And in this word, this word Jesus, this God came and dwelt among us, took on flesh and came to be with us and show us this God that those, those people who begin to write Genesis had known from the beginning, loved them and would do whatever it took to be with them. After that, these early Christians would begin to look at other Hebrew texts and begin to put together the stories that they told because they led to Jesus. They found Jesus in them. And so the Bible would begin to be put together and more of these Hebrew texts would be collected. And we're gonna get to that in the next week. But friends, what I hope you take today is that wherever you find yourself with this, however you feel about this, the major story people continued to find as they pursued this man, Jesus, was that there had always been an idea that their life mattered. They were not some cosmic accident. They were not a slave to the gods as the Babylonian creation story said. They're not a slave to their DNA as some modern science tries to tell us. They were in, intended to be you were intended to be, and there was purpose and meaning for your life. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace. <laughs>